1: The next category is loosening rela- – there's seven on this list. The fifth is loosening relationships. The, and the claim here is – and this might be something we might um – maybe even disagree about. The claim is there are fewer meaningful relationships and less community, there's more individualized life. There was a book years ago called Bowling Alone that was studying this. But there are changes in how those relationships are maintained. I think the argument here is is that there there are more superficial relationships and there are more relationships that stay in touch with one another because of technology, because of distance. But there are really, actually, when you look at it, fewer meaningful, deep relationships or long-term relationships. Yeah, I think when that book was written, you know,
2: so much was just happening. Yeah, you know, I don't even know if Facebook was completely uh, realized at that point. And so, I think what we have to realize, I think this is what's important for the church, is the nature of relationships is a little bit different. Yes, as older people, we look at the kids on their phones, and we're like going, "Oh, come on, be with people. You don't know how to be with people." And you know, maybe they do. Yeah. You know what I mean, but they're being with them in a different way. That's they don't ex- know yet.
1: I think, that, I think that's fair. The, the rest of this one goes because it's more complex than what he's arguing. He says they move more, so they have less time to be close to a consistent circle of friends, but they stay in touch with those separated far more than the previous generation. So the result is they're less likely to be tied to an organization for the long term, they're less institutionally tied in because they're more mobile if I can say it that way. They still volunteer, okay, but the volunteering isn't with an organization that I'm going to be with over decades. The volunteering is related to I want to do this and help in this way. So it's more, um, it's more scattered in terms of its associations. And then finally, they maintain – the way they maintain their social relationships is completely changing. Those are the, those are the observations that are being made, mm-hmm. and I think that's true. That the yes. the mapping that goes on, the way in which relationships happen. I actually think I have a metaphor for this, and again, I'm going to use my son because because his life is so contrastive to my own, um, and that is when when Stephen was in college, and even when he was a, y- a young adult, um, just just out of college and in graduate school, his social time was spent in packs, if I can say it that way. You know, he, it was it was. Um, uh, there was a group of about 15 or 20 friends, and my joke with him is, what are you doing tonight? It would be about 8 o'clock in the evening, and he hadn't made his plans yet. And you know, I knew that somewhere between 8.30 and 9 o'clock his, his, his friends would either text or phone, and he, they would decide what they're going to do, and about 9.30 he would go out and do what he's going to do. Completely different than my life, okay? Mm-hmm. We dated, okay? The, a pack for us was a double date. I mean, yeah, okay, all right. It's a close friend of you hanging out with, etc. We would know, you know, 6 o'clock in the evening, what we were going to do, and have it planned out, and go through it, you know. And, and, and so it just, I think that's just a picture of the difference in the in the. And also I think it's a picture of, and we haven't talked about this, the kind of ubiquitous elephant in the room, the way in which technology and communication have changed the way people socially relate and what they're capable of doing and the way they plan and all the features that are a part of that. So these loosening relationships is a part of the equation. I'm going to go through the rest of the list so we can talk about them all together. Globalization is the sixth, and this is obvious. Um, We get news and we have competition from everywhere, so we're not in the little isolated local bubbles that we used to Function in, I, I like to use this illustration. In the first century, the average person lived in a thirty-mile radius. Now, think about that for a second. And that's all they probably—that's that's all. That's, that's all exactly right. That's all they knew about, etc. Right. I mean, a thirty-mile bubble. Now, that that that's fifteen miles in each direction. I mean, that's that's not a very far. That's not a very big lifespan I remember hearing the story of someone when we lived in Scotland it was a father of one of our close friends in a little town of Torfins of 800 people in in Northeast Scotland and his father had slept in the same home every night of his life except for one night he was 79 years old wow. except for one night and that was by accident because he got stuck fogged in in Edinburgh and couldn't get home wow. so uh, I mean I, I when he when when this guy was telling us the story about his dad we went, I can't even imagine that you know. So the point is, look at how localized that is versus how global mm-hmm. uh, much of our relationships are. There's a higher percentage of non-citizens in our population. Going from, and this is male and female numbers, from four to six percent to thirteen to eighteen percent, and that's probably low in comparison to where we are now. I mean, that is that's continuing to expand. So one of the effects of globalization isn't, it's not only that we're more connected and we're hearing from other parts of the world and our world is bigger and we're living in a larger sphere, but the world also, as this has often been said, is coming to us. We get the same mix here. I think. I think I'm right in saying that that when my kids were in high school at Hillcrest there were like 178 languages represented in the high school. Mm-hmm. I mean that's mm. that's a, <laughs> that's staggering to think about. You know, when I was and, going and to and s-
2: people are not assimilating to the country that they're moving. I mean Germany's exactly. going through a major Exactly. major conflict with this saying we're losing our identity as a nation mm-hmm. because we've not as you know, in the United States we have a whole different set of values right. that guide us, but but, but that's one of the challenges, right, is that we're we're trying to figure out how to be multicultural. Exactly right. And groups can connect in ways that they couldn't. You know? Yeah.
1: And it's not unusual when you move to a foreign culture to look for people who are like you to hang together to feel a little bit of stability in the midst of the mm-hmm. adjustments that sure. you're having to make. Sure. Absolutely. And that takes a couple of generations actually to sort itself out. Mm-hmm. And then that's interesting for the churches that are built that way because ethnic churches, I hear this in Chinese and Korean churches all the time, where the Chinese or Korean parents are talking about how their kids are so assimilated to America. Or that they feel like they're leaving, you know, they're leaving their roots and and all the anxiety that that creates. Well, that. Again, just a small snapshot of a large area that impacts in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, the uh, obvious one that we've been talking about a lot, and that is the information uh, explosion with the Internet and feeling comfortable using technology. I mean, this group really grew up with the computer from day one uh, as opposed to – Well, our graduating seniors have never been alive when the Internet
2: wasn't pervasive. Yes. So those that are entering college as freshmen have never known life without the Internet. Internet, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah and, and our freshmen entering in weren't were barely alive when 9/11 happened. So that's right. To yeah. think about
1: how those things—that's going to be ancient history to them. Right, you know? yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. It makes it, the so so the point here is is that all of this is impacting the church. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we've got marriage and children and employment opportunities and education that 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 are pushing. Uh, uh and controlling in many ways students lives and choices in this in this early period that's impacting what they have to do and what's really um key in a lot of that is um is the way in which uh coming to a family um, uh, tends to push one to church but with that being delayed that's not happening and so uh, and with all the other choices that we've talked about because of the choices people make about how they live, and in some cases they're aware about how churches feel about that, that kind of thing. So there's these disconnects. So the large question in the last 10 minutes that we have together is, mm-hmm. what is the church to do? Uh, how do you how do you cope with all this variation, and what is it that's supposed to happen uh, in, in with this age group? Well, it's in, we just did
2: a study of uh, pastors, I'm just trying to get an understanding of... Uh, what they're experiencing in their churches as it relates to teenagers. And um, one of the things that we found, 51 percent of pastors said the hardest group to reach are 20-somethings and (laughs) college-age students. Mm That was the largest group. The next largest was high school students at 27 percent. Of pastors said that's the hardest group for them to reach. So, this is obviously a challenge for the church, and uh, and it's something that you know is important. And there's a lot of shifts going on. The American Bible Society just released a, a report looking at scripture engagement mm-hmm. among the generational <laughs> categories. Mm-hmm. And they 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 broke them into to four groups: friendly, engaged, neutral, and antagonistic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so among the millennials, um, so all adults, 17% were antagonistic. Okay, but among the millennials, 29% were antagonistic toward the Bible, mm. ha- meaning they had a negative view. Those that were neutral, they didn't have much feeling. It's, it's about the same for mm-hmm. millennials and all adults, but when we look at the engaged people are actually using Scripture, 21% of all adults read it at least four times a week and mm-hmm. have a very high view of it. Mm-hmm. Only 14% of millennials. So there's a really different... Um, way that generations are using scripture even in their lives, and mm-hmm. that's shaping I think a generation. I mean to have that kind of antagonistic views is something.
1: Now, How much of that is a combination of what I would view to be two factors? One would mm-hmm. be the presence of technology and the amount of time kids spend on technology so they're – and they're accessing information and playing video games and that kind of – the variety of things that are mm-hmm. – the choices that they have. And then the second is the general uh, cultural – Discussion about the Bible, I would say, is mostly negative in terms of this is an ancient book, you don't really need to take it seriously, that kind of thing. Is that the double whammy that we're getting? I think you're in the middle of that. Too with your yeah. with your
3: discussions over the years with Erman and, yeah. and some of the things along those lines. So I think that is definitely a factor, and and most of the discussion has been on a popular level, mm-hmm. fairly, fairly negative. Mm-hmm. And the voices like yourself and others um, who would be defending, you know, the the reliability, the veracity of Scripture, are are not being given. The time or the or the media Mm -hmm. time that that it needs to get a a fair hearing. So I think that's definitely an issue. What is ironic about the whole thing is um, with technology the way it is. And I don't know about you, but you know I've got. I can't tell you how many versions of the Bible on this little oh, yeah, deal absolutely. right here that I can take with me, and I can study and do incredible things yep. that that the scholars of old would just die to have access to things like this. The things that we can do and we can access, and that's all available to these to these young millennials I've, as well. I've just know? I've
1: just come from from a week at Logos Software doing mobile ed for them and and seeing about what it is. And of course, the Logos program was an. Ex- its starting point was here. Was here at DTS. DTS. That's right. CD Word Library, yeah. where we were, we were contemplating what we could do with technology in the study of Scripture. And I love to tell the story of when I look at backgrounds in Scripture. I used to walk into class talking about Second Temple Jewish resources, and I walk in with a stack of books about <laughs> Yay High, yeah. and hand them out one at a time so the students could be familiar with them. But the only way they could access them would be to go to the library. That's right said, now I'm at the point, the last few years, I'm at the point where I don't have to walk in with a single copy of a hard copy book. Everything's on the computer. I can put it up on the screen. Everything is a click away.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter, Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. And I think about
1: what that means for me in actually doing my work with scripture and I go, talk about opportunities. Mm. I've got opportunities to do things I never I, I couldn't have dreamed of doing when I first you, started You teaching. you couldn't live
3: long enough to access the materials that you
1: would need to do the things the you The time do that right it would now. take me exactly. I could I I could know what question to ask, but the actual time it would take me to do that, Correct, and, right. and, and all, mm-hmm. I would have been it, it I would have gone, "Okay, I will write that one piece in my life." Yeah. You know. Yeah. Now I can do it, and because of the speed of light and other things, Mm -hmm. you know, boom. Uh, If it's not there in about five seconds, I'm upset. So you know, so it's so. There's the question. I mean, it's
3: never been more accessible than it is right now, mm -hmm. and yet
2: they're not accessing it. They're not accessing it, and there's there's actually negative. You know views toward mm-hmm. toward the Bible and, and Scripture. You know and some of us were you know we're moving from literacy to see. right, you right. Know, in the way that we that we interact. Uh, and back in two thousand eight, UC San Diego did a really interesting study, and they found that um, the typical American receives about thirty four gigabytes of information a day, hmm. but only point one percent of that is uh, text. Hmm. So, you know what we're realizing is that words are not right what, w- the information that people are taking in mm-hmm. and that we don't know what the effect of that is we don't know how that's changing you know, I, you know this
1: relates to the way i think about communication because i uh, there's an exercise that i do when i'm doing cultural engagement stuff in which i tell them um, I, uh, my daughter was once uh, buying furniture and i'm not an interior designer so while they were at the store and my wife was helping them i was off to the side watching mtv and Everything would come up about every four oh, seconds. Yeah. You know, I I, I, I I would count how long a visual was up there, and I'm not even counting it's all the stuff long. that's going on the side. I didn't get to four any time on a five-minute period. So I called my wife over and I said, "I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to count how long the vision is up there, uh, the visual is up there." And and I went through the same exercise. Another two minutes, I never got to four. And then I turned to her and I said. That's how young people are processing information. It's in bursts. Mm -hmm. Okay? If you look at our magazines, et cetera, they're they're structured to be quick and and crisp. And so um, the idea of going through an outline, okay? I mean to write a paper. Uh, uh, what, what in the world is that? I mean, and, <laughs> yeah. and then think about that in contrast to a web page. And general,
2: yet we yeah. have a generation that's reading some of the biggest books, Harry Potter and The Twilight. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. so there's yeah. this, there's interesting you know contrast. Exactly too, right, right. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know what that means for the church, but I mean, I think if there's one thing that I would tell a church right now, just based on the millennial situation, is When we get – we have to think about how we go to where they're at and be in their space. Right. And we have to think about – how many clicks does it take to get them to a place where we can talk to the gospel? Uh-huh. We want to go from zero to gospel uh-huh. in as short a period of time, in four laws if possible. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the reality is for this generation, it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And so we have to really be interested in them being with them and helping them. And when you consider that, you know, that 70% of those 82% that wanted to be married said that they they want to be fully developed as a person, mm-hmm. that's part of what we offer as the church, right, right is right. how to become whole. right? But we want to move people so quickly somewhere that we're not willing to walk with them a little while right. Till maybe that moment happens. And so maybe it's that our churches need to be offering career and vocational counseling. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to provide mentoring programs with people in our church in different industries that connect with teenagers and people in the community. Maybe we need to just have – maybe we need to put together parks and make our space more community accessible and be okay with dad bringing the kids to use the playground with a six-pack like he would at the, the park down the street and be okay with that and not necessarily feel like we have to sit down and share the gospel with them right then, right there. Right. And I think, I think that's one of the things that's, that we have to be a little more present with people because there's a lot of skepticism and a lot of mistrust. In what we're trying to do yeah. as Christians in the church, I, I agree with that.
3: I think I think the church's strategy's got to be a lot more holistic mm-hmm. than it has been. Um, we, you know, one of the things, that, you know, at the, at the risk of plugging Gabe right, and the fact right. that he's going to be here, one of the things he talks about is that um, a lot of the 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 problem with the millennials is that they've watched the older generation live out their Christian lives mm-hmm. and they've gone, it ain't working for these people. Mm-hmm. I don't really want any of that, mm-hmm. and so we really and. at the risk of using a a cliched term, we need authentic Mm -hmm. Christians who are living a life of discipleship with Jesus in front of this other generation. And and as Mark said, the mentoring and, and those kinds of real discipleship relationships with the younger people so that they can watch and see that, you know what, if you do it the way Scripture tells you to do it. It, it actually does work
1: pretty well. You know, you know your I,
3: life does go better. I,
1: I, again, I'm going to use a picture or a metaphor, and I'm going to come back to the outline and the web page because I think this is what, kind of what's being said. You know, the outline kind of has this, this is what one way to structure things, and here's the sequence and the order. It's your four laws. But a web page is more like. Think about the possibilities of the choices about which I access information. There's no rule on a web page as to what you go what you go to next once you get that up up on the screen, and you're full of those choices, interacting with those choices. And I really think that interacting with young people who are used to dealing with web pages, so I can say, is more like dealing with a web page than it is with an outline. Mm-hmm. So so you're walking alongside the person to use your your picture, and you realize there are seven or eight different ways this thing could go. Mm-hmm. And and, and, you, and you go with the flow. Sometimes with one person you might go this way, with another person you might go that way because of the way things are. And, and you're, you're, you're interacting in a more open-ended as opposed to a formulaic kind of way, and you're mm-hmm. treating them as the individual that they are in the midst of the process. And you're also interacting with them in a way that's analogous to the way they've handled information all their life. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I think I think that's a way of picturing kind of what we're talking about. Well, if our our only transaction is to try and proselytize Mm -hmm. or convert
2: somebody, Mm -hmm. then that becomes the basis of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And and somehow I think there has to be something more than that. And I think it's sniffed out, right? Mm -hmm. That this is transactional. Mm -hmm. And I think that this generation is going, are you willing just to be with me?
1: Yeah, I don't want to be a notch on a a gun belt that says, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, a a number on an evangelistic list. Well, I
2: think we've enjoyed this really interesting time where we could just, you know, the field of dreams, if you build it, they will come, Mm -hmm. right? And if we put church on, Mm -hmm. everybody will come. And I think about 80% of the population Mm -hmm. was reachable that way. Ten years ago mm-hmm. and, and earlier, mm-hmm. now I think it's more like twenty percent. So the mega churches are doing a great job capturing that twenty percent, mm-hmm. but that's not transferable to a smaller church, yeah. Because the 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 pool of people to be attract that will tracked in is very small, right, right? So when you're dealing with this other group, you have to actually go mm-hmm. and be where they are at and mm-hmm. be present. And so I think right now some of the greatest innovation is going to come. From smaller churches that are willing to literally take a walk around their community, and say, "God, what are you doing here, and right. why are we here, where we're at,
1: and where can we join in, get Not to know to people, etc." people et to cetera. come in
2: twenty or thirty miles away, yeah, but literally in our neighborhood, our walkable. You know, the old parish
1: concept. It is exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think we have to go back to that if we're really going to be effective.
3: One of the things that I tell the, the, I I work with 10th grade boys on a Mm -hmm. regular basis in our church. And one of the things that I tell them every week and pray every week is you guys are representing Jesus in every sphere of influence. You need to do that well. Mm -hmm. And the local church has got to do that. They've got to represent who Jesus is not just in word which we've we've gotten good at but we we've got to do it in terms of all of our deeds mm-hmm. and all of our relationships most millennials aren't attracted to a brand mm-hmm. in in terms of a church brand they're more attracted to a cause mm-hmm. they they want to be involved in something that that actually does something that mm-hmm. makes a difference mm-hmm. that they can see tangibly this is helping people. This is this is changing the way things are. And churches that are involved in the community that are making a difference are very attractive to the millennials.
1: Well, we we our time is not more than gone, uh, and so uh, but it's been it's been quick and brief and uh, whew. the fastest fifty three <laughs> yeah. minutes in the world. Yeah, exactly right. But uh, it's always per- happens. And it's, it's and it's always and it's it's but the start. Well, I'm sure I'll have you guys back to talk about more of this because it's a it's a topic that. Is going to be with us for a while and dealing uh, dealing with the with the challenges of of a shifting life. Uh, This is one of the great cultural shifts that we're in the midst of. Uh, It's something churches are going to have to wrestle and think through. And as I said, we're we're you know. Uh, just a couple of weeks away from a from a conference that's going to focus on this and try and help pastors and churches deal with this in in a significant way, and I think that uh, senior pastors and their staffs, particularly their youth leadership, mm-hmm. uh, are, will benefit from the from the conversation. And hopefully, they've benefited from what what you've. Uh, shared with us today. In fact, I'm confident that they have been. Yeah, I just want to encourage people to think
2: positively about millennials, uh-huh. not negatively. Yeah. I think that changes everything. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're not broken. Whatever, uh-huh. we're all broken. Yeah. every generation is broken. Absolutely. Look at them in terms of the opportunities that we have yeah. to play into, and you change that paradigm. And I think that's a lot of what we're going to do at, at Prone to Wander is try and change the
1: paradigm about how we're engaging
2: them. But I think that's really important for mm-hmm. for leaders.
1: Well, thank you, Mark, and thank you, Jay. We're glad. Glad you could join us and we thank you for joining us here at the table we discuss issues of God and culture and we look forward to you coming back uh, on our next podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to the table podcast For more podcasts like this one visit dts.edu/ the table Dallas Theological Seminary Teach truth, love well.